once again at New Life in Christ Church in Cedar Creek, Texas, and want to uh, once again welcome you to our online service. It's good to have you with us. Uh, we've got a great service planned today. We'll see what the Holy Spirit does with it. He might make it better. <laughs> so uh, first of all, we have our website, which is nlicedarcreek.org. On there, you can find anything that you need to know about our church. Um, and then also you can find our YouTube page, links to our YouTube page and our Facebook page there. Um, if you would please subscribe and, and like those so that we can, uh, you can help us to expand our reach. Um, and then also we have three ways to give now, which uh, number one, text, uh, our number will be up on the screen that you can do that. Then you can also uh, give online by clicking the link in this video description uh, below this video, or you can give by mail, which is uh, the church's mailing address will be on the screen. And then uh, we also have an announcement to make, which we made last week, but we'll be making, uh, you know, um, several times probably, is in the next few weeks we plan on switching the service so that it is a one single service, is no longer an online service and a 1030 service, but it will be a live, a, a, a in-person service on, on at 1030, but it will be recorded or streamed live, excuse me, streamed live at 1030 here in the sanctuary, and so uh, while you will be, um, your service will now be an hour and a half later because you will get the link to that that uh, that uh, live video at uh, 10.30, uh, so your service will be an hour and a half later. However, uh, you will be here with everybody while we're doing this virtually, so it will be, uh, I think, beneficial to everybody, um, and also if you have any prayer requests, uh, we ask that you please send those to us. Um, you can call the church or you can you can message those to us um, either on Facebook or the church's website. And uh, we have people who are faithful to lift those up, and I do as well. So let's. Uh, that being said, let's go ahead and, and pray and get into worship. So Father, we thank you so much um, for your goodness, and thank you for your 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 provision, even even in difficult times, Lord. And I ask, Lord, that you bless everyone. Uh, who who tunes in here and bless others, Lord? I pray that you would uh, uh, give us opportunities to minister in Jesus' name, and we just uh, seek here to uh, worship you and honor you and give you praise and glory. Help us to focus our heart on you, and uh, I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. Okay, so praise God. Get over into, into this. Praise you, Lord.
the Lord burning in my soul. There is power, power here in this hour, this hour. We are all together, together, waiting here as one. Waiting here as one. Waiting here as one.
Lord, you, you give of yourself. You give yourself away, Lord. You're always pouring into us and pouring into us and giving and giving. We could never thank you enough. So we lay the groundwork of our life on the chief cornerstone, on Jesus Christ himself. Help us to live our lives to please you, to line ourselves up with him, 
i sure. 
shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, and faultless stand before the throne. Testing, one, two, praise God. Wow. God, I fall hot up here. Sometimes you don't know if that's just the air conditioning not working or the anointing. Praise God. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you for your will. Thank you for your plan. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. Praise you for your mercy. I praise you, Lord, for your blessings that you so freely blessed us with, Lord, that we, have, that we have food on our table, that we have clothes on our back, Lord, that we have a roof over our head, that we have opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus in this earth. Pray, Lord, you help us to do that work. I pray, Father God, for this work that I'm doing now, that you would anoint me to be able to, to bring this word out, Lord, that you give us all the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge you help us to understand what's being spoken, Lord, on that heart level that you desire us to know things. And I thank you, Father, and I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Let's uh, open our Bibles and turn over to Matthew 10. First book of the New Testament, Matthew 10. The title of today's message is Doing Well Under Persecution. Doing well under persecution. We're still talking about the end times in a roundabout sort of way. But I felt in my heart we should take some time to focus on a part of the end times that many people don't teach on. And, you know, we've already been doing that um, by talking about how God's kingdom and Satan's kingdom are in conflict. About how Jesus said the message of the gospel would be preached in all the world before the end comes. So there's that, uh, there's that evidence of, a, uh, of that last great revival that's been prophesied about for so many years. Um, you know, and uh, we've talked about some other things that, you know, the good things that God has planned, the fact that the church, nowhere in the word does it say the church loses the authority we've been given in Jesus' name all the way through the end times, all the way through the tribulation. And so we've we focused on a lot of these, and we can see how there's lots of, there's lots of things about the 
the end times that uh, people do not talk about as much as they should, or at least they should talk about it in proportion to the bad things that li they like to bring up. Um, now, uh, we've already made some progress in that, uh, you know, I believe in, in keeping things proportionate, you know, or, or, or teaching on the whole counsel of God about the end times, but I feel in my heart there's uh, another thing here to be aware of. Um, and, you know, again, it seems like many times there's more effort spent talking about what Satan's plan is than God's. In talking about the end times, you know, we always hear a lot about the tribulation, the antichrist, the mark of the beast, and how bad things will be. And, you know, just a side thing, you know, we talked about how the tribulation actually comes from the Lord. It's pressure that he's putting on people on the earth to uh, make a decision about Jesus because the time's drawing to a close. But uh, a lot of people think of the tribulation as coming from the enemy. There is persecution, we'll talk about, that's directed toward believers during the tribulation, but it's going to come from the people who are under pressure by God, who are um, pressuring us to give up our faith, um, to, to no longer uh, be that witness of Christ in their life because they don't want to, to see that because they don't want to be convicted of what they're doing. They want to keep living the way that they're living. Um, and so that's, that is where that persecution for us will come from. But the tribulation itself is God putting pressure on the world. The, the Greek word there for tribulation is pressure. And, uh, you know, when we talk about the other, the other points that, of what, what the enemies do in the Antichrist, the mark of the beast, how bad things will be for, for Christians, you know, I don't, I, don't want, I don't think it's wise to over-inflate those things. Because in the past, whenever I've heard teaching on the end times where they focused on the bad, I walked away with a feeling of helplessness. Have you ever felt that way after someone taught on the end times or you read a book in, on the last days or you saw a movie about it or, or just people talking about it, not even preachers, just people in general just talk, oh, it's going to be really, really, really bad. Oh, it's going to be so, so, so bad. See that all over Facebook nowadays. I've been, I just saw one today on that. And the feeling I, I always get after that is, or not now, but used to be, the feeling I would always get on that before I, I took the time to study you know, in more, more depth on this, is is this unpreparedness? I, f I felt I felt like I was totally unprepared for what was coming. Yeah, I know it's coming, but I don't know how to deal with it once it gets here. You know, are you maybe with me on that? So I think that much teaching on the tribulation that we've seen, while not necessarily factually wrong, is missing the element of actually preparing us for what is coming. And if I'm right, that means that we've missed the boat. Because if you read through the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus talked about being ready. A lot. Ready for his return primarily. But you understand that if we're ready for his return, that means we're going to be ready for, the, for the, the whole of the end times by default. It's a certain mind frame. Now, uh, prepare yourself because it's not an easy mind frame to get into. <laughs> So for now, I brought us over here to Matthew 10, where Jesus gives, gives his disciples an assignment. And he sent them into the villages and the countryside to preach the gospel and to minister to the people. And this assignment he gives them is a foreshadow of the great commission that Jesus would later give to us. And, uh, you know, we can get a hold of some things here to help us in our assignment from him. But keep in mind that there are a few differences. One, uh, this assignment has a limited time frame. Um, and two, we'll find that this assignment was only to the Jews. Um, and we'll read 
we'll talk about that more as we, we get into this. So starting with verse 1, and I'm going to read this out of the Amplified Classic, Matthew 1, Matthew 10, verse 1. It says, And Jesus summoned to him his twelve disciples and gave them power and authority over unclean spirits to drive them out and to cure all kinds of disease and all kinds of weakness and infirmity. Now, the next few verses give the names of the disciples. We don't need to do that. Go down to verse 5. It says, Jesus sent out these twelve, charging them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and do not go into any town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, this is uh, just a side note. I mean, this, is, this assignment was specifically just to the Jews uh, that they were to minister to, but uh, that is not preferential treatment. Uh, Jesus' earthly ministry was first to the Jews because it was through the Jews that God gave the law. And Jesus came to fulfill the law. So after he died, was buried, and rose from the dead, now all people in the world who the Bible refers to as Gentiles are all able to come to Jesus and be saved. So that's one of the reasons that this particular assignment to the disciples is just a foreshadow of the Great Commission, which we have. Okay, verse 7. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We've, we talked about that quite a bit the last few weeks where Jesus preached that. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's what he would always open with. Verse 8, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. Freely, without pay, you have received. Freely, without charge, give. Take no gold, nor silver, nor even copper money in your purses or belts. And do not take a provision bag or a wallet for a collection bag for your journey, nor two undergarments, nor sandals, nor a staff, for the workman deserves his support, his living, his food. And into whatever town or village you go, inquire who in it is deserving, and stay there at his house until you leave that vicinity. As you go into the house, give your greetings and wish it well. Then, if indeed that house is deserving, let come upon it your peace, that is, freedom from all the distresses that are experienced as the result of sin. But if it is not deserving, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive and accept and welcome you nor listen to your message as you leave that house or town, shake the dust of it from your feet. Truly, I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So uh, understand, you know, Jesus is now talking about the day of judgment, the the future day of judgment that's coming. So he is, even though this is a temporary assignment, later the disciples return to him and then they they continue on with whatever they were doing, whatever Jesus... uh, you know, felt led by the Spirit to do, uh, understand that Jesus was always mindful of the, of the Day of Judgment, and so he brings it up even in this temporary assignment. Okay, so um, now, <clears throat> the other thing I want you to notice is that this assignment's success was based on supernatural help in the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they could not, on their own, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and drive out demons. Just, we can't do that without the help of the Holy Spirit. And that is something that then carries over into our commission as well. In Mark 16, Jesus said, And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Okay, so we're talking about supernatural help from God to do this. Now, I'm not saying that we will all be doing these things every moment of the day, you realize, because if you read Acts, you'll see that the preaching of the gospel was at the forefront because the church can do that as an act of the will. 
We can do that anytime. We can preach Jesus. But miracles through the gifts of the Spirit happen through the church as the Spirit wills. So in the church, the focus was rightly on Jesus. Jesus said these signs will follow those who believe. He didn't say that the believers are supposed to follow after the signs. But Jesus did say that anyone who believes, they are a candidate for these things to occur as the Spirit wills in their life. And it may not be happening every moment, but it's probably going to happen more often than you would think. Because not every supernatural thing God does is spectacular. Brother Hagen used to say, Many people miss the spectacular in looking for this, or they miss the supernatural in looking for the spectacular. Notice that, that he said, those who, you know, if those who believe, they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. It's not always necessarily an instantaneous, spectacular thing. See, people who come down to healing lines or they go to church and they want people to lay hands on them and pray over them, what are they, expect, what are they looking for? They're looking for that big, instantaneous healing. Doesn't always work that way. So we can't lose faith if we don't see it happen right away. We have to believe what Jesus said, that the sick will recover. Amen. Now, I said all that so that you understand. It's as the Spirit wills in your life. You've got the Holy Spirit if you've accepted Christ. And and the reason I say that is because I want you to understand that if you believe in Jesus, no matter how bad it gets in these times, you are not alone. Holy Spirit is with you, he, and he may work wonders through you as he wills. Of course, if, he, if you can see that he, you can tell he wants to do something, you're going to have to cooperate with him and step out in faith and do something on your own. He's not going to, you know, um, these things are done by faith. Amen. But that's a different teaching for a different day, or if you want, you can look up. We have many teachings on that, and it's a... Uh, the different parts we have, it's, uh, pertaining to the Holy Spirit. We have like eight parts on that. You can look, but it's only on audio, but you can find it on the church's website if you're curious. So, um, just wanted you to know, you are never alone, even if you feel alone. Okay, verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wary and wise as serpents, and be innocent, harmless guileless and without falsity as doves be on guard against men whose way or nature is to act in opposition to god for they will deliver you up to councils and flog you in their synagogues okay so here's a practical instruction jesus gives for these times beware of men whose way is to act in opposition to god people who will directly oppose god did you ever get uh, 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 that bad feeling in your heart in response to wrong things people say about God? Or you've ever been talking to someone and you're like, something's not right about this person. Just something, something's not right. God is telling you, beware. That doesn't always mean that you need to take action to get away from them right away. It depends on, on, on what the nature of his warning is. Sometimes... Sometimes you do need to get away from them right away, but like I said, it depends on how urgently God is pressing on your heart or perhaps the nature of the way he is moving on your heart. See, people get themselves into trouble when they only want God to tell them things with words. If you want God's word, go here. 
Romans 8.14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you have said out loud, Jesus is your Lord, and you believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you are a child of God, so you can expect to be led by the Spirit of God. Well, people aren't always led by words. Learn to seek God with your heart, because that's where he resides. Jesus is telling us that his spirit will let us know when we're talking to a person whose nature is to act in opposition to God. People who oppose God will cause trouble for you because you represent God. Jesus said here, they'll deliver us up to councils and flog us in their synagogues. That word synagogue there means an assemblage of persons. That's what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean a Jewish house of worship. It just means an assemblage of persons. It could, but... Okay, verse 18 says, And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a witness to bear testimony before them and to the Gentiles, the nations. But when they deliver you up, do not be anxious about how or what you are to speak, for what you are to say will be given you in that very hour and moment. For it is not you who are speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. More confirmation that we're not alone in this. This is perhaps God's greatest promise to us in any amount of the end times that we go through. Because Jesus said, I am with you till the end of the age. That means all the way through until he physically returns, he is with us in spirit. And that's really good news. But, you know, I used to think, well, great, he's with me through the problems of life. Why didn't he just come and take me out of the problems of life? Do you realize that that's what many Christians are saying in response to the things that we see going on around us right now? We cannot let that kind of thinking dominate our minds. I'm going to say that again. If any of us are thinking, why doesn't he just come back now so we can just hurry up and get this over with, that is a wrong way of thinking. We cannot let that way of thinking dominate our thoughts because if we do so, we're going against what Jesus did, what he commissioned us to do. We're going against what Jesus thinks is best. Because Jesus knew what he was doing when he gave us a job to do until he returns. The word talks about how there were things Jesus began to do and teach here. He entrusted us to complete that work. What an honor. What a great honor. I have had to make an effort to change my way of thinking in order to see it that way. Because my flesh doesn't want to go through any trials. Just return now, Lord. Just give me the promise now. But no, he's with me to the end of the age. And I've got work to do here. When we do his work, Persecution will arise. It will. But Christ is with us. And Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means enduring. I can do it through Christ. You can do it through Christ. And I really want you to take to heart something I see in these verses we just read. Jesus is training his disciples as he speaks to them here. What kind of training is, is he giving them? It's not physical training. He doesn't have them lifting weights or doing cardio. 
It's not mental training. They're not studying or debating. This is training of the heart. That is the only type of training that will keep a person together under persecution. When we come under persecution, it doesn't matter how many push-ups we're able to do. It doesn't matter how many philosophers we're able to quote. Now, notice that there's a pattern here. First, Jesus gave the disciples authority to do some supernatural things. Next, he told them to do the work. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. After that, he told them not to charge people money for doing those things. Then he told them that persecution was going to arise. Why? Because they were going to do his work. Jesus had opposition in the earth. Anytime you undertake to do what God has called you to do, you are going to meet opposition from people. Now, I know, was it last week? I can't remember. But we, we looked at that, that verse in Ephesians that says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That's true. But we wrestle against what the enemy is plotting. The enemy also works through people as they let him. So when you, when you meet an unbeliever, you'd be praying, Lord, in Jesus' name, I'm taking authority over, over what the enemy's doing. He's trying to blind that person's mind. It says the God of this world blinds the minds of those who don't believe. That's little g, Satan. He's not a God. He just operates in authority in this earth. And we, we talked about that, how Adam forfeited his authority to Satan. We won't get into all that. If you want to know more about that, you can go and you look at just the last few Messages we taught on this. Okay, so, again, anytime you undertake, you roll up your sleeves and get to work on what God has called you to do, you will meet opposition from people. Now, take care of what I'm about to tell you. Because I believe very strongly that if we pay attention to Jesus' warning about being on guard against people who we can tell will oppose God, we can limit how much persecution comes our way. You know what I mean by that? There is enough persecution as it is without falling into some that could have been avoided. It's clear that not all persecution can be avoided. Jesus said so here. But he also said be on guard. Flip back a couple pages to chapter 7. Here in this same book, we're in Matthew still. Just go back a couple pages. Matthew 7, and this is still Jesus speaking here. We're going to look down at verse 6. He says, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. These dogs and swine he's talking about represent people who are not willing to hear the gospel, who, want to, who their, their nature is to oppose. He says, don't give what is holy to the dogs. These are the same people who told us to be, to be wary of in chapter 10. The holy thing that he's talking about, or the pearls that we bring, that's the gospel. Okay? These people, their nature is to oppose God, so they'll oppose you too. Jesus expects us to be able to recognize them. How? By the leading of the Holy Spirit. We call it the inward witness. It's God's Spirit. The Word talks about God's Spirit bearing witness with our spirit. If you've ever gotten that something on the inside down here, 
that warned you of danger. That's what I'm talking about. That's the Holy Spirit working on your heart. So Jesus gives this warning not to cast your pearls before swine. And we can see how he applied that to his life. Whenever people had a problem with what he was teaching, he talked to them publicly and told them the truth. He would talk with them. But the Bible never tells us he went looking for a debate. He never went to the homes of the Pharisees or the Sadducees to pick a fight. If he had, do you think that he would have come under more persecution than he did? What I'm saying is is that I believe he's telling us that persecution must come, but by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and being on guard, we can minimize how much persecution comes. In other words, not all persecution is necessary. I mean, any of us can make a, I mean, make a, make a, I mean, how many times have, have we been uh, just in life, someone who knew more than us said, you, don't do it that way, you're going to, that's going to be a lot, whatever you're doing, that's, that's going to be a lot more difficult if you do it that way. And what do we do? We didn't listen. We did it our, our way and it was a lot more difficult than it could have been. That applies to spiritual things too. But even when that persecution that is necessary comes, because And the reason it must come is because it will inevitably come because when you do the work that God has called you to do, there will be people who don't want to hear it. And so they will oppose you. And so that is why uh, there will be persecution that, that must come if you're going to follow God's plan for your life. I believe that in the end times, uh, when, when there's a lot of uprising against Christians in general, even those of us who are in hiding, so to speak, and not doing a whole lot, will still come under persecution because it's like guilt by association. They don't like us simply because we bear the name Christian, whether we're doing a lot of work for God or not. But even then, under that persecution, there, it's still, there, there are still things that God will work around for our good. You might ask, how can any good result from being persecuted? Well, of course, first of all, in James, it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He's not, he's not saying that the trials are joy. He says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. But then on the other side, you know, when we say, how can any good result from being persecuted? So glad that that uh, that we these thoughts occur to us because it makes us ask more questions. We get into the word more. Flip back over there to chapter ten where we were before, and let's read uh, verses seventeen through twenty again. And this time we'll we'll read it from that perspective that God can bring good things about even through persecution. Verse seventeen, He says, "Be on guard against men whose way or nature is to act in opposition to God, for they will deliver you up to councils and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake, as a witness to bear testimony before them and to the Gentiles, the nations. But when they deliver you up, do not be anxious about how or what you are to speak, for what you are to say will be given to you in that very hour and moment. For it is not you who are speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So inevitably, we will be persecuted. But as a result of that persecution, other opportunities to be a witness for Jesus will arise. There's a good example of that in in Acts 16. Keep a bookmark here if you've got one, and we'll flip over to Acts just a few books forward, pass through the Gospels, pass the book of John, or Gospel of John, and then into Acts 16. 
You know, I'm finding that in talking so broadly about this subject, uh, we have some time to address some smaller errors that circulate around in the church world. It's nice to address those when we can. Okay, Acts 16, and uh, also verse 16 in Acts. It says, Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Okay, so some followers of Jesus here on the way to prayer encounter this demon-possessed slave girl. Things are about to get interesting. What was one of the signs that Jesus said would follow those who believe? They would cast out demons. Verse 17 says, This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. When I first came across this, I thought, why is this demon helping these Christians by announcing that that they are there to proclaim the way of salvation? And then I thought, well, why'd they cast the demon out for doing that? You know, not that, you know, you want, not that you want the demon to stay, but it's like, why? why? Well, first of all, God does not need the devil's endorsement. Second, if they let that demon stay, that girl would have remained in torment. And then third, it also would have deceived the local people into thinking that demon was a good source of spiritual information. Because they would assume that if the, if the disciples just left it alone, that they were in general agreement with what that spirit was doing. See, the devil's crafty. He does not mind playing the part of a friend if it means that he can stick around long enough to do damage later. So by the leading of the Holy Spirit, Paul cast out the demon doing the Lord's work. Following the Great Commission. Amen. Praise God. Well, what happens next? Persecution arises. Look at verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is not just persecution. This is major persecution. Now, we need to take a lesson from what these men, Paul and Silas, are about to do. Because it will help us in times of persecution. Verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Okay, I'll just say that the reason he's about to kill himself is because in those times, in that place, the jailer was responsible financially for any prisoner that got out. So if every prisoner got out, I mean, his life was forfeit. As soon as the, as soon as the people over him found out about this, they would kill him. 
So he's just going to end it all right there. He's lost. This is a man with no hope. Verse 28, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he, he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? God worked this situation out in such a way that they could win the jailer to Christ. This is the same man who locked them away in the prison. How is this possible? Romans 8.28, we know all, that all things work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. They were in the jail because they were following the call God gave them, and God worked out another opportunity for them in the midst of the persecution. And what was that opportunity? Witness to the very guy who was supposed to keep them locked up. He saw how God had delivered Paul and Silas, and so he wanted to know, what must I do to be saved? If you follow God's call on your life, you never know where you're going to end up. You don't know who you're going to end up talking to about Jesus. Living for God is always an adventure, even right where you are. Let's read on. Verse 31. So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Okay, so now there is a teaching that's been going around for many years in the church that I disagree with. And that teaching is this, where people take, based on this verse 31, where it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. They lift this verse out of the context and they say that if a person accepts Jesus, that means that eventually their entire family will be saved without a shadow of a doubt. Have you ever heard that? Let me tell you why I disagree with that. First of all, that violates a person's choice. God won't save a person that doesn't want to be saved. He makes that very clear in other parts of the word over and over again. So right there, that, 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 bring, that should make that teaching suspect. Okay, That should bring up a red flag when you hear someone say that. Okay. Secondly, in verse 32, it says, Paul and Silas went to the man's house and spoke the word of the Lord to all who were in his house. Why would they bother to preach to everyone in the jailer's house if it was only necessary for the jailer to, be, to believe? If only he had to believe and the rest of them would be saved by default, why would they bother to preach the gospel to everyone there? No. In verse 34, it says, The jailer rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Not for his household, with his household. means they believed too, of their own will. So what I'm getting at and I'm driving at is, is I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm hoping to kill, you know, to, to, uh, kill two birds with one stone here is that our kids and our families are, that we are raising, all of us, all, all, all of us who believe in Jesus, the people that are in our household together with us need to be aware that they can't be saved by their parents' faith. They need to build their own relationship with God. Amen. There, there, there have been generations of Christians who were baffled when the kids they raised turned away from God and went after other interests. What happened? Well, how much did they teach their kids about the importance of seeking God on their own? Being in this word on their own. The book of Proverbs says, 
uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And there have been people that have said, oh, well, we did everything that we knew was right, and they still left. Well, really? Did you really do everything that the Word says to do? Did they, I mean, I mean, a lot of times our standards are here, but God's standards are different, much higher. What, what, what does God want us to do? How does he want us to talk to those in our household and train them? Because we can't get so focused on following God's call publicly to other people outside of our family that we forget that it also applies privately, even in our own family, among our own relatives. But before I move on, I, I, I will add one final thought to this, and I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14 to you, so you don't have to turn there, but if you don't want to, you can. But I'm going to read that to you out of the Power New Testament translation. It says, And for the rest, I, not the Lord, say, If some brother has an unbelieving wife, see, we're still talking about family, and she agrees to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if some wife has an unbelieving husband, and he agrees to live with her, she must not divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified by the brother. Otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are sanctified. And then verse 16 says, For how do you know, wives, if you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, if you will save your wife? Now, there's a difference between the word sanctified and the word saved. An unbelieving person is not saved by being married to a Christian, but they are sanctified. What does sanctified means mean? If something is sanctified, that means it is set apart for a holy purpose. So the question is this. Is God's plan to save everyone that he can, is that a holy purpose? Yes, absolutely. So he sets the unbelieving spouse apart. They now have more pressure in their life to accept Christ. Why? We are God's co-laborers. He works alongside us, and we spend a good deal of time in the home. Every time that unbelieving spouse sees or talks to the believing spouse, that is a reminder that they should make a decision about Jesus. Because of that constant reminder, sometimes the unbelieving spouse can be no fun to live with. Especially if they're being prayed for constantly. Because God is dealing with them. There was a preacher named Smith Wigglesworth who despite his strange name was used mightily by God in his time. Over 20 people raised from the dead under his ministry. But his wife, Polly, got saved before he did. And he hated the fact that she was going to church. He didn't want anything to do with God. And he was always giving her trouble about it. One night, he finally told her that if she went to church, he would lock her out of the house. She went to church. And when she got home, the door was locked. So she slept on the porch, leaning up against the door. In the morning, he opened the door and she fell into the house. She got right back up on her feet and she said, Good morning, Smith. What would you like me to make for your breakfast? It broke him. He turned to Jesus. And he served Jesus until the day he died. And that's an awesome report, but it was difficult for, for his wife. It was difficult for Polly. This is why it's hard for a Christian to knowingly marry a non-Christian. 
it makes things turbulent because even if the Christian is not always directly speaking to their spouse about Jesus, the unbelieving spouse is reminded constantly about Jesus every time they look at the other. That's because they're sanctified. I brought this up because we're talking about doing well under persecution. And sometimes a believer's main source of persecution is from their spouse. Or from others in their family who don't, don't want God. Still, still, God works all things together for our good. As we work for him in the earth. Amen. Let's go ahead and finish up these last few verses in Acts 16 with Paul, Silas, and the jailer. So look at verse 35. It says, and when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers saying, let those men go. They think they're still in prison. <laughs> so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. I think it's interesting that Paul still demanded his rights as a Roman citizen. He made the magistrates own up to their mistake. But when they asked forgiveness, Paul forgave them and they moved on to encourage the church before they left the area. Would you say they did well under persecution? If they can do it, we can do it. We need to be of the same mind, willing to pray and sing to God in the middle of persecution. And then maybe right in that same persecution, if God gives us an opportunity to minister Jesus to someone, okay, we will be ready. But we should be ready. We will be ready. Because God can always take persecution and turn it around. Keep that thought in mind as we flip back over to Matthew 10, if you still got your bookmark over there. This Christian walk is definitely not for the faint of heart. We need to prepare ourselves. Let's read through verse 19 again. But when they deliver you up, do not be anxious about how or what you are to speak. For what you are to say will be given you in that very hour and moment. For it is not you who are speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver up brother to death, and the father his child. And children will take a stand against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who perseveres and endures to the end will be saved from spiritual disease and death in the world to come. When they persecute you in one town, that is, pursue you in a manner that would injure you and cause you to suffer because of your belief, flee to another town. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What's that mean? There's always going to be a place to minister. And notice here that Jesus has switched over to talking about the last days. And there where he says that we, don't, we won't have gone through all the towns of Israel before he returns. He, he, he could be talking about the dispersion, meaning all the towns all over the world where Jews live. Because the Jewish nation still has a part to play in God's plan. Talks about it in Revelation. Verse 24. 
a disciple is not above his teacher. Now, now he, he's going to start giving us some heart training again here, or he's going to continue giving us some heart training. So just uh, let it sink in. Amen. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a servant or slave above his master. It is sufficient for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant or slave like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, that's Satan, they, 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 told, they said that Jesus was casting out demons by Satan, and that's just nonsense. But he's saying, if they said that about me, imagine what they'll say about you. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, master of the dwelling, how much more will they speak evil of those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is concealed that will not be revealed or kept secret that will not become known. Doesn't matter if people say lies about us. Everything will be revealed. Verse 27. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light. And what you hear whispered in the ear, proclaim upon the housetops. And do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Or Gehenna. Gehenna is the Greek word for hell. Verse 29. Are not... Two little sparrows sold for a penny. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground without your father's leave, consent, and notice. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, then. You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who acknowledges me before men and confesses me out of a state of oneness with me, I will also acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven and confess that I am abiding in him. So here's where Jesus explains to us the heart of the situation. All the things in the world that people hold dear, their car, their job, their house, their phone, their internet connection, God is looking past all that and when Jesus is preached, people are convicted in their heart. And what is really important to them can't help but rise to the surface. And if they know that the things that are important to them are not lining up with what's important to God, they are convicted of that. This is why Christians come under persecution. Because whether we want to or not, we shine as a witness to people that God wants them to accept his son. So the bad news is we will have trouble and persecution in the world. The good news is Jesus is worth it, worth enduring persecution for. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much once again for your goodness, even through persecution that we suffer, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would help us all to be sensitive to your spirit and to know uh, how bold we should be in which circumstance, and where we are to go, what we are to do, who we are to speak to. I thank you, Lord, and in Jesus' name I pray. I ask everyone that you bless everyone under the sound of my voice here, that you would help them uh, to understand these things, help them to uh, be provided for, provide for them, provide for their needs, touch them if they need healing in their body, touch their body, heal their body right now, Lord. And I thank you, Father, and I praise you. And in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.
All right, we will see you next week.